Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, guys? Really grateful you guys are listening to the pod. I would love it if you could take just five seconds to leave a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you might be listening to this. It really goes a long way to spread the message which would allow me to get better guests to add more value to your life. And if you're one of the special people that have helped spread the word on this podcast, I am deeply appreciative of your support. Enjoy the episode. You know, how much warmer you are, how, how competent you're trying to sound, they're also gonna mirror that. So do you try to set the tone and just kind of stick to it or do you try to mingle around? So I always say you wanna hit the sweet spot. And by the way, everyone is a little bit different. So if someone's naturally higher in warmth, you're gonna be trying to add competence cues purposefully. So the closer to the middle you can get, the better. love to dig into the book, Vanessa. Obviously, as you just mentioned, 2017 was the last book uh, that it came out and you were already working on Captivate. So right now we're almost nearing, well, let's say 2022 and been five years, right? So like, obviously you had a toddler and everything, but like, talk to me about the process of now coming in with this new book. Yeah. So it's funny because Cues actually started with a very specific accident, which is I was in 2006, 2007, there was a lot happening in the news. It was very exciting at the time. So uh, Britney Spears went on Dateline because she was uh, kind of going crazy. Lance Armstrong was lying on television. Amanda Knox was like about to happen. And in that time period, I started this little folder on my computer called Curious Cues. Now, little did I know that that would turn into something later where every time I saw a cue that I was like, that's odd or that's interesting or why did they do that? I would take a screenshot or a snapshot or a screen flow or a note and I put it in that folder. And the same thing for any time I saw um, someone do something really charismatic, someone said something, did something gave me a look where I was like, oh, I was like hit by their charisma. And that could be a, a character or a person. I would put it in this folder. And so, you know, over the years I was putting stuff in there and it wasn't until after Captivate where people said, so what are you going to work on next? You know, Captivate b- blew my mind. I couldn't believe how, how well it did. I, it shocked me. It, it truly, I was like, you know, cause I'm a recovering awkward person, you know? And so I wrote it for other awkward people. And I'm just, I was so amazed. There were so many other awkward people. <laughs> right. Cause awkward people don't out loud talk about how awkward they are. Right. <laughs> so no one's like me. I'm awkward. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but actually the book in a weird way, it allowed awkward people. Like people now will come up to me in the street and say, I'm a recovering awkward person. And we hug. And I'm like, yay for awkward people. So uh, that, book, awesome. that book sort of surprised me. And so the next question I got was, you know, 
what are you working on? And so I revisited that folder because it was, it was getting really full. It was getting really big. Mm. And I was like, I wonder if there's any patterns. So for fun, because why not? I love, I love a good spreadsheet. I just love yeah. a good spreadsheet. I started to categorize all the good, the bad, the emotion cues. And so I started to notice a lot of the same patterns, like a very, very simple one. So I love watching the show Shark Tank. Have you ever seen oh, that yeah. show? Love it. Yes. <sighs> Shark Tank, Dragon's Den, some parts of the world where a mm. panel of sharks or investors listen to entrepreneurs pitch their ideas and they invest their own money. I've watched this show for years and there's so many cues in that show. And so I had asked my team to code uh, my research partner and I, Jose Pina coded 495 Shark Tank pitches. Wow. <laughs> 400 you must be a professional investor by now. I mean, I mean, right. Right. <laughs> and, and, and he was looking for cues. He was looking, we, hmm. I was like, there is something here. There is some patterns with why so, all these ideas are, are pretty good, right? Everyone who gets to Shark Tank, no one's, you know, has a horrible, horrible idea. They're all pretty good. Why is it that some, you know, like right away, oh, this is going to be good. And all the sharks are like throwing their money and others, all the sharks are, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. So he's, he started to categorize the cues. I had some hunches. We were looking at everything from hand gestures to first impressions, to eye contact, to verbal, like verbal things. Like uh, we noticed a couple of things right away. So sure. one, we noticed that, um, uh, Kevin steeples, have you ever seen the steeple gesture where yes, he touches yes. the, his fingers together. And, um, he, he often holds this pose, but when he's really like thinking very carefully and doing math in his head, he's a tapper. He'll kind of, mm. he'll kind of tap. And we started noticing all these other cues. And so I was like, there is something here. And so that was the, the birth of the idea for cues was, is there a system to the tiny signals that we send to each other? We usually think about cues in terms of decoding, like spotting, uh, looking for hidden emotions with facial expressions, but we don't as much think of them for encoding. Encoding is the side of cues people don't talk about, which is the signals we send to others. And so I wondered, could I create a catalog, a system of the 96 cues that we send back and forth? And could we learn them in a way that we can control them? Mm. So that is the that is the genesis of the next That's the premise. It was all Shark Tank a lot. Did, do you know any of the people from Shark Tank? We actually had Matt Higgins on, who's like a guest Shark Tank on, on the show. Yes. Yes. I actually, um, I got to meet um, one of the pitchers and she got offered a deal. And so I was able to talk to her sort of in depth about what happens. Because remember that we're only seeing a very shortened version of the pitch, right. which is almost in a way more helpful. And she actually said that... Um, they don't let you practice very much. So what you're seeing on there is, is very real. Like they don't let you do retakes. So that made me feel even better mm. about sort of the cues that we're seeing and that they don't, they don't let them do retakes or practice takes or anything. So what we're seeing is a shortened version, but still a lot. And they, and they pull out the juiciest ones, of course. I think right. there's a lot to learn from that because I think most people who are my, my recovering awkward people, or even my, my folks who are brilliant, strategic, creative, but can't get by on their ideas. They feel underestimated. They feel stuck. They feel like they're overlooked for opportunities. I think it has very little to do with their book smarts, their technical smarts, the actual content of their ideas, which is proven by Shark Tank. It actually yeah. has to do with the cues they're using to share those ideas. And if we can just fix those cues, we're overlooked less. I think we're um, our potentials hit more. Now, I know some people probably are probably thinking, like, what is a cue specifically? I think you touched on it a little bit, tiny signals and, you know, yeah. it's, 
maybe some people think about it as like a just like a physical action, but there's obviously other cues, categories. So I'd love to kind of get an overview about that. Thank you, Sean. That's why you're such a good interviewer. I'm talking about cues and I haven't even defined them. Oh, yeah, okay. let's go to it. Okay, so a cue is a subtle but powerful signal that humans send to each other, and they are broken down into four different categories that I use. So nonverbal, our body language, our voice tone, our voice and how we pro project and portray our voice, our volume, our cadence, our pitch, our verbal, of course, the words that we use in slacks, chat, email, text, and in-person phone. And the last one is imagery. So the colors that we wear, uh, mm. the kind of jewelry that we wear, even down to the kind of headphones we use with what's behind us, you know, our background, that's all a big part of our nonverbal, our brand, our Q brand, how we're coming across to the others. Interesting. Got it. So even the cues that you've presented yourself on Zoom today, the red colors, the red lipsticks, the, the global maps. I mean, what is the cue you're trying to send over there? I'm curious. Okay, exactly. So um, luckily, I think that the, the biggest problem is that we're missing opportunities. We're not using our cues to help us and or we're sending misaligned cues. So we can use our cues to answer questions. So for example, my background, right? So I, I picked a world map. I have all of my pins and all of our favorite places. I have some heart mm. pins in the places that I've lived with my husband. The reason for this is because the biggest question, question that I often get is, is your book in other languages? Are cues universal? Does this work for my culture? And so I switched my background to be a world map because it in a way answers that question ahead of time. The moment I put this map up, I started getting that question less. Mm. It, it was like an immediate answer to the question. Sometimes I'll even rotate my background to have teaching aids behind me. So I'll have, um, you'll notice in some of my YouTube videos, I'll have serotonin, oxytocin, and dopamine. And that's yep. because I know that I can come across as highly warm. So one of the things we can talk about also is the science of charisma, there's a formula to charisma, warmth and competence. And so in human interactions, 82% of our judgments of others are based on these two single traits, warmth and competence. Warmth and competence. And this is, yeah. And this is incredibly important uh, research from Dr. from Dr. Susan Fisk from Princeton University. And so I noticed that in a video, I will come across as highly warm. I'm a smiler. I'm a hand gesture user, right? Yeah. I, I lean in, I, I laugh at my own jokes. So I can come across as highly warm. And so one thing, one way that I balance out my warmth with competence, we're using competence cues. So when I add the science behind me, literally molecules behind me, that mm. balances out my warmth cues that I'm sending with my body. So you can also use cues to balance. How about you? Got what it. about your background? Do you ever think about what's in the background of your videos, your Zooms? I and now I'm going to just based yeah. on how you've broken it down. But I'm, I'm curious for someone that maybe are listening that just doesn't have all of the research and the experience that you have. How can someone analyze Like You discovered it very well, like the, that you were more you come across as more warm and versus, you know, you know, the other way around. And how, how are people how can people self-analyze themselves to know, you know, where they fit in? Love it. Okay. So there's two ways that we can do this. Um, the first is with our verbal. So body language can be hard to guess, right? That's why I have to have a system for it, but verbal is actually much easier. So when we talk about the two categories, warmth, trust, likability, friendliness, openness, collaboration. The other mm -hmm. side is competence, power, capability, productivity, efficiency. Those are the two categories that we're always looking at. So basically when we first meet someone, we, when we see someone on video in a meeting, we're trying to decide, can I trust you? 
Are you on my side? Do you like me? And can I rely on you? Are you smart? Are you going to say, are you going to do what you're going to say? Um, is what you're saying true? So those are the two questions we're constantly trying to answer about someone, not just in a first impression, but all the time. So what you want to do is send cues to immediately answer both those questions as quickly as possible. So the way that you assess if you're doing that already is with what I call an email audit. You want to do an email audit, Sean? Ooh, Should we do it? Yes, I would love okay. to. It's really hard to just guess. So I like to do this really uh, in a quantifiable way. So here's what I want you to do. You can pause this video or you can um, do this afterwards. I want you to go into your email sent folder and I want you to look at your 10 recent most important messages. So this isn't like the little emails you send checking in on someone, you know, maybe to a boss or a client or a family member or a friend, 10 important emails. And the more varied they can be, the better. So hopefully not all the same person, sure. uh, either print them or save them on your desktop. And what I want you to do is count the number of warm verbal cues and the number of competent verbal cues. This is going to show you what cues are you, are you using when you're trying to send important messages to others. Now, warm words are any words that give you any of those warm feelings. Trust, the warm and fuzzies, connection, openness, collaboration, smiles. Emojis are warm. So any yep. emoji that you use that counts as one warm word. So yep. a heart, a smiley face, that's one warm point. An exclamation point, one warm point for every exclamation point. Mm. Okay. So if you use three exclamation points, that's three points in the warm column. Okay. Okay. On the competent side, these are words that are getting things done. Efficiency, capability, um, facts, also uh, any percent number or data, that's going to be a point in the competence column. Got it. So if you do this, right, you're and you'll, you'll do this, hopefully with all 10 emails, one of two things will happen you'll easily be able to identify, oh, wow, I'm using a lot of warm, or I'm using a lot of competent, or you'll find no warm or competent words at all. And you'll notice that your emails are sterile. They're all very dry to the point. There's no emotion words. There's no words that trigger or stimulate anything. Both of those are very interesting because when we think about warmth and competence, people who don't signal enough, don't have enough warmth or competence cues we call them are they're in the danger zone. When we don't, when we're with someone who doesn't signal enough to us, we end up being curious, and that goes to scrutiny, that goes to judgment, and that goes to skepticism. So one of the biggest mistakes professionals make is they'll do this audit, and, and they realize, wow, I have no cues here at all. No wonder people are having trouble communicating with right. me. Right. It's funny because, like, I think just just like mirroring, which we'll probably go into. I find myself and probably like others, when I receive an email or I send an email and like, let's say I'm very warm to this person, but they respond with like, Sean, comma, space, one liner. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm definitely not gonna use any exclamation marks in my next email. So I almost change depending on what the response is, right? So uh, should we just be looking at like the initial emails or you know, how, how can we avoid the bias there? Yeah. So I, I would love a mix. If you really can do it, it would be great if you do some initial emails, some deep emails, some emails with someone you email with all the time, because we are constantly sending these cues out and you might even see patterns. Like for example, one of the ways that we've, we've discovered in these email audits is that sometimes people will, will do really great with their warmth and confidence cues up. So when they email their boss, their manager, an investor, 
oh my goodness, so much warmth and competence, a beautiful balance. But when they email down or laterally, they don't have any good warmth or confidence cues at all. So the more varied you can make it to test it, that's going to mirror how you are in person, how you are in video. And that can also explain to you why maybe you think you don't make a good first impression or why you make a great first impression, then things fall apart or why you're great on the first three dates, but on the next five dates, right? So even that can begin to sort of identify some patterns, which is kind of fun. And also, can I read something? Oh, can I read something to you that I think you'll find funny? Yes. Okay. So you mentioned like mirroring a little bit. We also verbally mirror. So you might notice that you are matching the person you are emailing with. So if you are emailing with someone who you know uses lots of exclamation points and emojis, you feel pressured, right? As a human, we feel pressured. Well, gosh, she sent three exclamation points. I better use at least one. At least one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is so funny. So you know the the blogger Tim Urban. Yes. Yes. Okay. So Tim Urban, highly competent. So Tim Urban, I love Wait But Why, his blog, highly, highly competent. He sent out this tweet and it got 68,000 likes last time I counted, 525 retweets. Are you ready? Tim Urban said, I spend a lot of time deciding which sentence in the email is going to have to take one for the team with the exclamation point. Meaning, and there are certain people who are very high in competence. It is physically painful for them to use emojis and exclamation points. Right. If this is you, you're like, oh, I have to just sacrifice it. And that is a natural instinct knowing this email is too competent. I better add some warmth. I got to add some warmth somewhere. Mm. And so we have this natural instinct. It's not only mirror and match, but also we know we have a sense we're out of balance. The funny thing is, so Tim Urban sent this tweet out. Okay. And in response a highly warm person, the opposite, wrote what happens to warm people. So here's what highly warm people think. I always start with an exclamation point after every sentence, then realize, wait, they can't all have exclamation points. I sound like a lunatic. Then pair them back one by one until only a single exclamation point remains. That is a highly warm person. So so you're the kind of person, which one are you, by the way, Sean? Do you know which one you are? I feel like I'm a bit of the mixture of the both, but I lean one towards the other, depending on who I speak to. So I'm like a chameleon in some sense. So that's very highly charismatic. So this is, here's the problem. And here's the gap that I talk about, I talk about a lot in, in, in cues, yeah. which is highly charismatic people have the perfect blend of warmth and competence. They're able to dial up into warmth when they need to stimulate warmth and collaboration and trust. And they're able to dial up into competence when they want to be productive, efficient, capable. If most of us have a mismatch or an imbalance, most of us are higher in one of those or the other. So if you're higher in warmth, you love using emojis. You're um, typically people come to you and they spill their life story. They're always telling you all kinds of things. You prioritize being liked. That can be difficult because if you have too many warmth cues without enough competence cues, people overlook you, people dismiss you, people ignore you, people interrupt you. On the other side, you have highly competent people. These are all, I love working with engineers and uh, you know people who are very technically minded. They are off the charts in competence. Mm. Their problem is that they are seen as very capable, very credible, very dependable, but people say they're hard to talk to, cold, intimidating. And so they struggle to get buy-in because people don't trust them. People feel like, I don't know if he's on my side. They don't get invited 
to after work happy hours. They often feel like they're carrying the burden or the load on the team because they're trying to do, get everything done. So the, the sweet spot here is making sure that you're able to hit both of those warm, being highly warm and highly competent. And what's funny is we, this affects every aspect of our communication down to the exclamation point. Yes. Like your warmth and competence scores. And in the book, I give a, a charisma quiz so that you can actually identify exactly where you are in warmth and competence. Your warmth and competence dictates every aspect of your communication, even down to how you use exclamation points, which wow. is just crazy. That is crazy. And do you recommend then to stay in the middle and adjust based on who you're talking to? Because it's kind of like a chicken and an egg, right? Knowing that you're going to mirror and also the other person is going to mirror based on how you, you know, how much warmer you are, how, how, how competent you're trying to sound. They're also going to mirror that. So do you try to set the tone and just kind of stick to it? Or do you try to mingle around? So I always say you want to hit the sweet spot. And by the way, everyone is a little bit different. So if someone's naturally higher in warmth, you're going to be trying to add competence cues purposefully. So the closer to the middle, you can get the better. If you are with someone or talking to someone and you notice, wow, they are highly warm, just like me, or they are highly competent, just like me, you can dial into them to respect mm. them. I think that when we talk about mirroring and matching, that's a respect issue. It's basically saying to someone, I respect you so much that I'm going to mirror and match where you're at. So I would say the default is always that balance, trying to hit that perfect balance of warmth and competence, and then flexing depending on your goals. What are your goals? Do you want to make them feel comfortable or do you want it to be as, as, as charismatic as possible? Got it. Got it. Now I'm, I'm always curious because last time we spoke, when we were talking about Captivate, you had some of the most like fascinating research processes. Like you're talking to me, you're discovering like breakdowns of alpha males. And I think we were talking about like being in a treadmill and like going up to a random guy. Um, so like your research process is always fascinating and, and would love to kind of dig into that. And I'm more, more curious to know, like, what are some of the things that maybe you had a belief about that mm -hmm after this process of researching through cues that you no longer believe or you were maybe surprised by? Mm, yes, I love the belief challenging questions. The great thing is that in the last few years, I realized that the more data we have, the better, right? So a lot of my early work was with smaller groups, which is, which is great. It's great for qualitative analysis. Now we're trying to go, over, go after some of those bigger numbers. So 495 Shark Tank pitches, right? That's a lot of data yeah. um, or big, big surveys. I think that one of the things that I was really surprised about is we have a big facial expression test where we have people look at facial expressions and then answer which facial expression I think it is. And Dr. Ekman has researched that there are seven universal facial expressions across genders and cultures and races. When people make these seven faces, it means the same emotion, even, even though the words are different in different languages. And so I was curious, which are the easiest faces to identify and which are the hardest ones to identify? You would think if there are these seven years universal facial expressions, anyone could spot them. We would all know what they are. Right. And so we started this quiz and I think we have over 30 to 40,000 people who have taken it, which is a huge amount of data, right? And one thing that really surprised me is that the simplest of the micro expressions is the micro expression people get most wrong. That really surprised mm -hmm. me. So the most simple of the micro expressions is contempt. Contempt is the most misunderstood micro expression. It's a smirk or a one-sided mouth raise. So if you raise one side of your mouth, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. That little smirk, it, this is what just shocks me is people, 
tend to think that that smirk means fake happiness or yeah, everything's okay. You'll notice thousands of LinkedIn profile pictures have this one-sided mouth raised smirk. Yeah. But actually the smirk is a sign of disdain or scorn. Specifically, it's a, it's a, a signal of better than. And this is a, a study I talk about in cues, which was done by Dr. John Gottman. And he found that when couples, so he was studying couples and why do couples get divorced? And he wanted to know, was there a predictor of why couples, some couples stay together and why some couples get, couples get divorced. So he brought all these couples into his love lab and he tested them on a variety of different variables from reading their body language to IQ tests, to interviews. And he found there was one single indicator that a couple would get divorced. And it was so accurate that he could watch a silent video of a couple talking and tell you with 93% accuracy, they would get divorced. What? And it is contempt that if a couple is talking and he's watching the video and he notices that one of the members of the couple shows contempt towards the other with 93% accuracy, that couple will get divorced. The reason for this is because contempt is one of the only emotions that doesn't go away. So of the seven micro expressions, happiness comes in a burst and then it fades. Anger comes all at once and then you calm down. Fear comes, then you self-suit. But contempt is an emotion that if it's not addressed, it sits and it festers. And so in a relationship, work relationship, romantic relationship, social relationship, if you feel contemptuous of the other person, if you feel better than, mm. um, like you disrespect them and that's not addressed, it grows and it grows and it grows. And that's why at the end of a very bad marriage, you have couples that can't even look at each other in the eye. And so I wow. share this because that one little cue, that contempt microexpression, is really powerful for decoding and encoding. One, if you see contempt, on your partner's face, on your colleague's face, on your friend's face, on your investor's face, face, you want to immediately say, is everything okay? Let's back up for a second. Let's pause. Any questions? What can I do? Like that's a window. That's an opportunity to fix something. Right. right? And then encoding is make sure that in your profile pictures, in your pitches, on your video calls, go watch a recent video call and make sure you are not accidentally showing contempt. Hmm. So a lot of us you're saying are just subconsciously doing this without even knowing. And does it mean content most of the times when someone is smirking? Okay. So should we get into the deep science on this? Do you want to, should we go deep on it? Yeah, let's go deep. Okay. So it's a really good question because there are two ways that we show facial expressions or emotions. One is contempt. However, we don't always know where that contempt come from, comes from. So for example, you might watch yourself on a video call or watch, let's say, let's say someone else, let's not make it personal. Let's say that you see someone on a video call and they show contempt, right? They flash a one-sided mouth raise on the other side. Right. And you go, oh, they hate me. <laughs> but they hate the person that's talking. Yeah. We don't know the source of the contempt. So it could be contemptuous of the person talking. It could be contemptuous of the news they delivered. It could be that they're really hungry and they're contemptuous of that. They could have had a self-hatred thought. Right. So you even have people who have a lot of self-hatred, a lot of pessimism, a lot of depression. They will show more contempt, but it has nothing to do with other people. It's their own. It's a, it's a manifestation of their own internal feeling. Mm. So when you're looking for contempt, it's not one and done. It's, hmm, they just showed contempt in the part of the meeting where Sarah was talking and we were talking about budget. I wonder why. 
Is it Sarah? Is the budget is something at home? I'm going to keep watching. Or I'm going to pause and say, hey, any questions here? Does this budget make sense? And that person says, you know, here's what doesn't make sense to me. Ah, that was, the, that was what caught them up. Or right. nope, no questions for me. Hmm, I wonder why. Let's keep watching. So we're looking for clusters of these cues. The, the backup science here, which I just want to be super accurate, I think that when we're cue readers, we have to make sure that we're being as nuanced as possible, is there is a very small portion of the population that uses contempt as a punctuator. That's what that's called, a facial punctuator. Uh, yeah, so a punctuator is that um, they use a facial expression all the time as like a default. It's, it's almost like someone who's like a fidgeter. So for example, I have a friend who uses the disgust facial expression as his punctuator. So disgust, if you want to try it with me, it's when we uh, raise our nose up, we crinkle our nose, yep, and we flash to everyone's mm. our teeth. So this yeah. is disgust, like we smell something bad, we go, oh. Right, right, right. Oh. Yeah. So it's a very negative expression. So you'll see this oftentimes when you ask someone, so, you know, what do you think of the new girl? And they go, oh yeah, yeah, she's pretty good. And you know, no, they're pretty disgusted by that person. Yeah. Well, my friend who uses that as his punctuator all the time, he's, so how's it going? Oh, good, good. All the time he's in that disgust facial expression. Ah. So for him, I know that's his punctuator. God. Very, very deep science there, but I think it helps us be more accurate. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, speaking about kind of these subconscious things that we do in pictures, obviously the last time, uh, you know, you and I spoke was 2017 and with the pandemic and all these things, everyone's on their mind in terms of online dating and what photos are going to be showing up and how they want to look like it's, it's the central topic, right. That most people have met and, and are continuing to meet. What are some of the things that people can do listening today? The single folks that are trying to put themselves in the best light or maybe like not overdo it either so that the real reality meets what actually shows in photos, which is also another problem in online dating. Um, <laughs> talk to us a little bit about kind of the things that you know, you've, you've researched or learned about online dating photos. Oh man, there's so much juicy research on online dating because yeah. it's a really easy thing to study. So there's actually some really great research out there. Um, there's, here's a fun one. I'll start with a fun one, then we'll go to the serious ones. Okay, so the fun one, I put this one in my book because I had to, I just had to. My editor was like, Vanessa, I was like, I have to, this is so amazing and funny. One research study, Yes, there was actually a research study that looked at this, looked at men, heterosexual, single men holding cats, because the hypothesis was that if you hold a cat, do women, these are only heterosexual males, do women perceive that man as being softer, right? Is it a warmth cue? That's what they were looking for. So can you guess, Sean, should a, should a heterosexual male hold a cat? Is it warm and fuzzy or is it not so good? What do you think? Oh, I mean, you, I noticed you didn't include dogs in there. But I did not include I, dogs. You did not include dogs in there. So yeah. my intuition would say dogs are generally warm and fuzzy. So cats, yeah, I guess, I guess not. But I would imagine most people would, would say that it's a warm and fuzzy thing, right? So you are right. Most people think that it's warm and fuzzy, but you should never hold a cat. <laughs> Ever. If you are, if you are a heterosexual male, do not wow. hold a cat. Even women who like cats don't like a man who holds a cat. Really? Wow. <laughs> this is according to one research study. But the reason why I like these kind of things is because it it shows you the power of a cue, mm. right? So, if we are looking at someone's profile photo really fast, 
our brain is trying to take in as many of those cues as we possibly can. So it's not just your face and your body and what's behind you and what you're holding and your clothes. It's all of those things put together. So what I would do if I were you is I would open up your profile photos or the photos you're thinking about using. And I would try to, again, do a little profile photo audit. How many warmth cues are you sending? How many confidence cues are you sending? There's actually an exercise I like people to do while they're reading because as they find a cue in the book, they can give it a point on the picture. So, so for example, one that we see a lot um, in female pictures. In fact, one of the studies we talk about is that um, this cue is in thousands of paintings over the last couple hundred years because it's so often used to depict people, which is a highly warmth cue, a head tilt. So mm. women, especially, we love a head tilt in our profile photos. <laughs> yeah. um, whenever I look at my friends' dating apps, I, I, I love, love looking over the shoulder of my single friends and, and just try, trying to help them pick cues. Woman after woman is always dip, dip, with, their, with their head. Yep. Why? Why is this so? So a head tilt is a universal cue that we do when we're trying to hear something better. So if I were to say, do you hear that? Like, do you hear my daughter yelling in the background? Right, right I'll you, go. You yeah, tilt your yeah, head yeah. up. And that's because logically this makes sense. We want to expose our ear. My hair then falls away from my ear. So I have less blocking it. So I can take in as much hearing as possible. So we recognize the head tilt as a universal I'm listening cue. And what do we want most in a partner to feel like we're being listened to? And so the reason why a lot of people, especially women will default to a head tilt is because it is a warmth cue and women by default typically want to be warmer. Sure. Not, this is not good or bad, but I think it's something to consider when you're looking at your pictures. Does that make sense? Yes, for sure. Yeah. I do notice this, like a lot of mostly girls, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't see a lot of guys doing this for sure. Well, this is my, this is, this is my, this is where I think we can get really, we can really level up our game here. So first of all, if, if you're a female and you like the head tilt and you want to do it in your profile photos, great. Just know it's a high warmth cue, right? It literally is like, I'm listening to you. I'm going to be a great listener. I am warm to you. So just be aware of what you're sending if you want to do that. For men, and by the way, the degree of the head tilt is important, right? Like the farther <laughs> over that I go, the more ditzy I, I like look. Yeah, yeah. Right? So if I were to have my head tilted all the way over, I am higher, higher, higher in warmth. The less yes. I tilt, the less warm I am until I'm back right. in equal. Right? It's right. literally a degree. If you were to see a girl who had her entire head exposed, <laughs> especially laughing with an open mouth. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's the ultimate. She is really high in warmth, all the way warm to ditzy. Right? We worry. Right. We go got all it, the way. Wrong angle so to use on LinkedIn. <laughs> Exactly. You just, yes. exactly what you, the, the cues you use in your dating profile should be totally different than your LinkedIn profile. In fact, those should be very different pictures. They should be different pictures yeah. for men. A head tilt is a great back pocket secret cue yeah. because it's a warmth cue. And a lot of men are overly competent in their photos. They usually will do their head straight, usually not smiling, kind of like a smize, right? serious. If they had their guns showing, maybe their closed body with their gun showing, if they're not even making eye contact, but looking off into the sunset, yeah. high, high competence, high, high competence, which for uh, someone looking, whether male or female, whether if you're a homosexual or heterosexual, is that what you want to attract, right? If you are using all competence cues, you are going to signal high competence. And that means you're only going to get people who are high competence. Right. So it's just about thinking about what kind of person do you want to attract? 
and what cues are using to signal that. So a warmth cue for a man, a subtle one, not, you know, all the way over, just a subtle one can be a great way to add a little bit of warmth. If you mm. have been told you're cold or intimidating, or you feel like you have trust issues in your relationship, maybe try to add in more head tilts because it's going to warm you up. Powerful, probably. This is why we love having you on. Oh, yeah. The yay. details, I, I mean, the details, yes. I yeah. love their details, but like in a picture, that's what we're looking at. And you'll see, and I've watched people, you know, they'll look mm. at a picture, and they'll look at a picture and they go, I don't know, just not for me. Swipe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But they can't explain it, right? And they can't explain it. So, what I love to do in those situations is I say, okay, wait, pause. Okay. This person is not for you. Why? I, I don't know. I, I just feel like they're just not my person. And then I'll break down warmth cue, warmth cue, confidence cue, confidence cue, danger zone cue. So, the one area we haven't talked about a lot is our danger zone cues. But contempt falls in the danger mm-hmm. zone. Danger zone cues are things that turn us off that irritate us that we don't like. And so I'll say, you know, competent, 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 danger zone or danger zone, danger zone, danger zone, danger zone, danger zone. And they go, ah, that is why. And so a lot of the times that I don't know why this person's resonate with me is because they're not sending the right cues. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I think it goes same for the charisma, which is the other way around the positive side of like, oh man, like, I don't know about something about this person, this girl, this guy, they've got the, the chutzpah, the, the X factor, but it, I just can't explain it, you know? And that's, I love that you just, you're able to break it down to the, to the, the, the nitty gritty science, you know? I mean, I it's it. funny because when you ask people to think of the most charismatic people they know, immediately people can think of the person, right? Like they can say, oh, yeah. like my best friend, my mom, my boss, my teacher, immediately. But when you ask them, what's charisma? They usually can't answer. They're like, uh, you know, it's that, like that feeling that you get. Uh, it's that person. So it's, it's a very unique trait, that it factor. It's hard to break it down. For some reason, mm-hmm. we don't know how to, how to read it. We're intuitively looking at it. But I think that the more that we can think about charisma in practical terms, the more we can control it. And the more in control we feel, you know, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm a recovering awkward person. I used to feel very out of control in social interactions. I would go on to video meetings or I'd go into negotiations or I'd pitch myself feeling scared because I didn't know what to do with my hands. I didn't know how to use my voice. I didn't know how to come across in the way that I wanted to come across. Sure. I think that control is sort of an antidote to anxiety. If you struggle with social anxiety, I think control is actually the hidden. um, I think we talk a lot about confidence and confidence is great, but confidence is a byproduct of control. When you're in control of your cues, you get confident. And that's how we Mm. fight. I think any of that social anxiety. Sure. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of continue on to this, to this topic where, so you've got the online dating, you follow Vanessa's advice, nail the date, and you've got it physical date. Now you're in your, in your first date, where do you sit on the table? This is something that I've always curious about. Like, do I, I've almost had like better interactions when I'm sitting right beside them sometimes, but it's kind of been a mix, right? Sometimes you want to sit right across from them. I would love okay, to wait, kind of go I have into a, that. I have a graphic for you. I have okay. A I have a graphic for you. So I have the same exact, the same exact problem, right? Anxiety yeah. comes when we don't understand something or don't know something. Okay. So there is research on seating science. If you can believe it, there is research on seating science. So 
First, the first thing we should know is that when we're talking about interactions between human, there's actually four different zones of space. So these are the four different zones of space. So very basically, and these numbers change a little bit based on culture. The brackets are about the same. So I'm going to give you some averages. So first we have um, the intimate zone. The intimate zone is zero to 18 inches apart. So zero to 18 inches apart is about here. And that is because when someone's in your intimate zone, you can basically smell their breath, right? Like Mm. if someone's in your intimate zone, you're probably going to go in for a kiss. So that's why it's called the intimate zone is because you're very close. You're making lots of eye contact. um, And it's usually where we we're we're in pre-kissing mode. So zero to 18 inches is the first zone. That's the intimate zone. The second zone is the personal zone. This is about a foot and a half to three feet away. So leaving the, the intimate zone about three feet away. Then there's the social zone, which is about six feet away. That's where we've been social distancing, right? Like just far enough. And then beyond seven feet is the public zone. Why are these important? That depends on where you sit. So if you want to create intimacy with someone, you want to be in a seat that is closer to them. Not too close, right? Like, by the way, I think this is the secret reason why at bars, when people are sitting right up next to each other in bar stools, they become immediately close. That's why you spill your life story to the person sitting next to you at a bar, Uh, is you are forced into intimate zone. I literally... It's like a byproduct of our space. It's the same reason why um, loud bars and nightclubs work so well for creating intimacy. Why so many people go home after them is because it's really loud. So what do you do? What was that? Mm. Right, like the moment it's loud, you lean in. And have, if you've noticed a loud bar or nightclub or networking event, you're in someone's intimate zone talking into their ear, basically. Right, right. And that intimate zone creates a sense of intimacy. So the first thing I want you to think about for seats is, what kind of intimacy do you want to create? If you've, if it's a slow grow, right? If it's like, hmm, we're just getting to know each other, you know, um, she's been, in, she or he has been in some hard relationships. Maybe that three foot is great, like across the table or corner to corner. If you are like, no, like we're really hitting it off. I, I want to get close and I want to get close fast. Like consider sitting next to each other at a bar. Consider si- sitting next to each other in a booth. Consider sliding your chair over to sit closer to them. Mm. The second thing to consider is um, angles. So when we are with someone and fully aligned with them, our body is also fully aligned with them. So you'll notice that people tend to angle their toes towards their crush. This is anecdotal. I, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last video that when we really like someone, even we're tuned to our boss, like our, our we're really the, the most VIP, the VIP in the room, we will subtly angle our toes towards that person just because huh. our brain is sort of on them. Yeah. So the thing to think about is wherever you're sitting at the table, you want to try to angle your body, your toes, your torso, and your head so that you're in full parallel lines with theirs. Yeah. That is a way to literally show someone I'm on the same page as you. I, I, I am so aligned with you and so into you that I literally want to stand as you stand. I want to sit as you sit. It's less about mirroring and more about alignment, that parallel, sure. those parallel lines. So wherever you are, make sure you try to get parallel. Got it. Got <laughs> it. I have no. a, oh, a diagram ahead, yeah. for business seating, but I don't think we're sitting talking about business seating, but um, it's we also could. critical to think about where you want to sit around a conference table too. That's also a very mm. important aspect of meetings. Yeah. Well, let's get into that. I mean, I, I actually just had one question around the, the dating aspect because I've heard that for when guys interact with guy friends, like guys don't always kind of sit face to face. They like to sit side by side and like, That's right. you know, like, what did you do? And that's just a little bit more comfortable. But 
is that actually hurting them when they're in a date with someone that in a, you're trying to pursue romantically? Yes, exactly. So the reason why uh, two friends, male, male, female, female, often will sit next to each other in a car at the bar, walking down the street, and they're talking like this is because they're not going in for a kiss. They're not trying to create. So, like when we're on parallel lines, it means we're trying to get intimate, right? Like that's kind of what we're trying to say to someone. And so with friends, it's okay that you're not going to be physically intimate. You're trying to be emotionally intimate. So mm. it's okay that you're not totally aligned as long as you're not across the room yelling at each other, right? You're still in each other's personal or social space, which is still okay. <laughs> got it. Got it. I'm just looking at the time right now, Vanessa. I actually had some interesting questions that I wanted to ask you or really more uh, a, a breakdown. So I've kind of selected some of the most awkward, common situations that most people go through. And okay. maybe we can right. just kind of sprinkle in some of the, some of the things you found with cues. Uh, so probably the most common one uh, that most people go through is asking for a salary increase, right? So you're talking, you're in a room with your boss, or maybe you're on Zoom. You know, what are some of the things that people can do on the other end to ensure that they have, you know, a higher likelihood of getting that raise? Yes, I actually, at one point, I hope I can remember all the tips. I filmed a whole like 30 minute tutorial on how to raise your rates or ask for a raise. Cause there's a lot of things that you can do both in prep and the actual meeting, but from a cues perspective, the most important thing you want to do is use trigger the actual feelings you want your boss to feel. What I mean by this, I think the mistake that most people make when they go into either raise their rates or ask for a raise is they'll use negative words because they're trying to show if you don't give me a raise, this thing will happen. So not threatening exactly, but they'll say something like, um, you know, I, I love working at the company, but uh, I really felt overworked. Um, it's been a really tough year and, you know, I want to stay at the company, but I just don't know if, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little disengaged. And so one thing that's really important to me is I want to talk about our compensation package. So they're using words that are slightly negative because they're trying to justify why they want to raise their rates. Right. But I actually want you to think of, or, or, and, or they'll use really, really um, positive words which is good, but they're all focused on their own feelings. So I've been working really hard. I've been working lots of long hours. Um, I really, I feel like I'm giving a lot to the company. So they're using a lot of positive words that are for them. But I want you to think about is what feeling do you want your boss to have to feel empowered to give you the raise? Mm. And this depends on your company. So if you know that your company is in high, fast growth, like some companies over the last few years are just growing like crazy, then you would want to stimulate that growth, right? You want to use all those growth words. So we've been you know, killing it. It's been amazing. We've been growing so fast. I love the trajectory of the company. That way you're reminding your boss of all the things that are growth related, lots of money, lots of opportunities, and hoping to empower them to make a decision from that place. On the other hand, let's say things aren't going so well at the company where uh, there's, what, what is everyone calling it now? The, um, the great resignation right? Everyone's right. resigning all the time. And again, the yeah. mistake here would be to mention the great resignation, right? Because that's going to trigger fear. A boss usually does not want to make or give a raise out of fear, right? You don't want to get a raise. Very few people are going to give a raise out of scarcity or fear mindset. So you don't want to talk about that, but you do want to talk about solutions. If your boss is trying to head up a, a company that's struggling, they want to hear relief. They want help. They want solutions. So the words you'd want to use for that kind of boss would be, 
you know, I, I want to help in 2022. I want to step up. I want to make sure that I'm a leader in this company, that I'm your right hand, that I'm supporting you as much as possible as we keep growing. So you're using solution relief together, solve, because what does a boss want? A solution, a, you know, a, a, a partner, someone who's going to help them solve something. So I want you to think about where, what kind of emotions would your boss want to be in? What I talk about in the verbal section of the of cues is that the words you use are often contagious. So if you show up to a meeting and you're saying, oh, I've been so stressed, just been so busy, man, it's been rough. What a challenging time. Those words trigger all of those feelings of stress and problem and challenge. And so the words you use really change the emotion of the other person you're with. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's like you mentioned partnership, right? So you, your boss, trying to get your boss to make a decision out of fear or loss aversion is maybe like slightly okay for you in the short term, but it's just going to hurt that long-term relationship because they're going to have resentment over that, you know, the continuation of that, right? Especially if you did end up giving you a raise after. And they'll be stingier, right? Like no mm. one makes generous decisions. They've proven this in the lab. We are not yeah. generous when we feel afraid. We are mm. not generous in scarcity mode. And so they might give you a little, a little bump, but it's coming from a scarcity place. So they're going to be stingier. Got it. Got it. So the second one is the approach, right? So you're on this other side of the street and obviously, you know, COVID times and everything, but the most awkward thing that I've found is like, you're waiting for the traffic light to hit, but you're both on the other side of the street, but like, you don't know like when to wave, you don't know like when to make eye contact or smile. Cause you don't know if that other person is looking at you or now, or sometimes they're looking down cause they don't know either. Like what is kind of the, 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 the rules for something like that? Um, mm -hmm. Or if there isn't really any rule, I'm curious to know, like when you do approach someone that you don't know, um, is it better to approach them from behind the side, the front? Always the front, always, always the, always front. the front. We ne Yeah. We never like to approach from the side or behind, especially if, it, if you're going to physically touch someone, right? Like yeah. if you're physically touched like this, it's like, we want to whip around and see who that was. So even like doing that wide circle around someone, even being like, Hey, hey, good to see right, you. But like right. even angling around towards them. And I'm a big fan of like, if some, if I know someone sees me, I'm always the first reader. Like I do, I have taken it. I've decided in my life, I'm, I would rather risk being, it's like, I would rather risk being the first reader and having them not see me mm. than not greeting and having it be awkward for the next five minutes. Right. That's true. So, right. Like you got to make that decision. What's your risk? And I would much rather be like, Hey, they didn't see me. Hey, they didn't see me. Hey, oh, they saw me. Hey, right. I would much rather do that. than I'm just going to wait. Are they looking at me? Are they looking at me? I, I, I'm not going to say, Oh, Oh yeah. Hey, no, I know. I saw you. I, I wasn't sure if that was you. Awkward, awkward, horrible, awkward, awkward, awkward. Yes. You're right. Like, you got to choose your, your risk there. So I would always rather be first grader. So I'm like a big, I'm a big, I'm a big waiver. Like I'm a big, big waiver. Like I'm always hands up right. no matter where I am, bar, networking event, street. I'm like, Hey, Judy. Hey, Sam. Good to see you. My, my husband walks through the door. Hey, babe. Like <laughs> I'm always first greeter. And I think that, that by the way, there's a lot of uh, science. We talked about this in our last interview. We love to see the palm of someone's hands. We love mm. palms. Palms are like the underrated 
part of our body. When we see a palm, we know they're not concealing something. We know that we're being acknowledged. We know that um, someone's being open, right? We hate a fist, right? So uh, instinctively, we do not like seeing fists. That's why we get, when we see a fist with someone, we're like, oh, that looks so close and angry. It's because it shows that I'm white knuckling. So it shows I have tension and anger. It may be concealment. Who knows what's in there? It's how we punch, right? Like we right. know that we could be injured that way. And so the answer is an open palm. So I'm open palming all the time. Like when we started this video, right? I was like, hi. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So it's almost out like, of hi. like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it is evolutionary? Is, is it, is the idea that it's, um, a, a lot of that is just kind of survival instincts for us. It kind of well, translates to social learned. life. Yeah. Or even like, yes, I think there's a lot of biology in there, but I also think a lot of it's learned, right? Like we know that when our friends greet us and people like us, they're open palming towards us all the time. They're like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you come in for a hug. Hey, so how's it going? Tell me everything. Yeah. Hey, like, so we have associated, we have learned that when we like someone, we do lots of open palm gestures towards them. And when someone doesn't like us, what do they do? Closed, right? We don't see their hands at all. Maybe they're like this listening to us. Maybe they're, they're, yeah. their fists are crossed. Maybe they're like this. So we have learned that, ah, this is positive and this is negative or, or concealment is negative. Got it. Got it. Man, I mean, every time you come on, there's so many things I learned that I realized even after five years, even the things that we've talked about, I just realized like I, there's always practice that you need to do, refreshers that you need to do. Um, so I, first of all, I highly recommend people to check out the book Cues. Um, first of all, wh where can they find that? And is Yes. So cues wherever books are sold. It also already got picked up internationally, which I'm so grateful for. So Ooh. it should be international. I know it should be internationally available yes. too. It's also being translated already. So I'm super excited about that. Wow. I also record the audiobook. If you feel like listening to me for another seven hours, you're That's welcome funny. to listen to the audiobook. And of course there's Kindle and it, it should be um, in bookstores as well as on Amazon and in your country too. I love it. I love it. Now, as a, as a final question, I'm just uh, obviously like I could talk about this for, for hours and hours, but is there a specific cue or something that you just feel most people listening to this today can take away to help create uh, you know, a positive lasting impression in their next interaction or help them with their careers or social life, dating life, you know, uh, anything that we didn't maybe touch on? Yeah. You know, I'll give one of the, it's very current to the time and it's a, a, an aspect of a cue I talked about, but I didn't get to talk about this part, which is space. We think about in person, we forget that space rules are also happening virtually, especially on our video calls, on our FaceTime calls. We are video calling now all the time, not only meetings, interviews, negotiations, but also FaceTiming and video calling on dates, right? Like sometimes that's our first impression on video, the same space rules apply. So right now I made sure, so I'm standing on a piece of tape because I know that the distance between my nose to this camera is more than 18 inches. The biggest mistake that people make is they break space rules on video. So they come on camera and they're 18 inches away. Now, if I were to do the entire interview like this, you'd be like, whoa, <laughs> back up. Right, right. It's invasive. <laughs> And so the biggest mistake we make is we hop on video or we get on a video call and we're right in someone's intimate space. And they're like, Ugh. so immediately they're triggering our alarm bells. So the very first thing is, especially in your first impression, make sure that when your video pops on or you answer the phone, your nose is at least 18 inches away from the camera. 18 inches is nothing, right? Like if I like yeah. 
eight inches, that's like nothing, right? right? So even just a little bit farther, you're signaling you're in the personal zone, which is a safer place to be. If you're feeling intimate, you know, that's when you can go a little closer, right? Like tell me right. more, Sean, tell me more. Sure, and we know sure. that. So that's a really easy one that I see people in their profile photos too. Just make sure 18 inches or more. Right. Cause on camera, it also has a different distance, right? So like, I'm wondering now if I'm too far away, sometimes you're perfect. You are perfect. This is like a good, okay. This is a good measure. Okay. It's per- also because it. I can see the top of your body. I can see if you're making gestures. So notice also like I make sure that the camera hits right at my waist so that you can mm. see most of my gestures. So the other, okay. the other reason secretly, I want you to be more than 18 inches apart is that you, people can see your hand gestures. Beautiful. Beautiful. This is very helpful. I guess people can just take a snapshot of this, of our angles right now and just see, you know, this is like the right distance to make. So awesome, Vanessa. I I really appreciate you coming on again and just sharing so much valuable insights, research that you've done, spending over five years, you know, trying to research this book. Uh, I can't wait for people to check it out and and love that it's already being translated because I think more people around the world needs to needs to hear it. how does that work with the audiobook by the way with, when it's translated is someone else they, read it i guess yeah they hire other actors to read in the other language which is okay. which is crazy <laughs> i love it i love which it crazy but i'm well, so best grateful of luck, but this is amazing i'm and i'm so grateful for all your support with my work over the years thank you everyone for watching and being willing to talk about these cues i think that a lot of them are invisible and there's so many opportunities so thank you for having me i love it thanks so much for everyone Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.